Lord, this morning, I, I just want to acknowledge that our hearts are incredibly hard. I just read this morning in, in the book of Job how Leviathan has a hardened heart like a millstone, but yet you control him. And so today, Lord, our hearts are incredibly hard, but we want to say it is you that is the only one who can soften them. Our hearts are wayward. They run to other things. They're easily troubled. They're easily disturbed, easily full of fear. And, and Lord, I pray that by your spirit that you would make us a people that are confident in who you are. But that is a work that only your spirit can do. It's the work that your spirit does through its word and, and through your word. And so we pray, Lord, as the word is preached now, that you would do a work, that we would leave today different, not because we've got to see nice people, but because we've met with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you face some kind of suffering, when trauma seems to head through the door, when pain unexplainable comes around the corner, you're going to preach yourself a type of gospel. The most influential person in your life is yourself. You are the one who talks to you more than anyone else talks to you. Hopefully not out loud too often, but you talk to yourself. You, you talk to yourself about life. You talk to yourself about God. You talk to yourself about who you are, and you do so in the car as you drive into work or dropping the kids off. You do so in the shower as you get ready for work in the mornings. You do so as you lie in bed at night when all the lights are turned off. You talk to yourself, and what you say about life, God, and, and yourself is going to be foundational to how you respond to certain situations in your life. And what we see in the psalm today, we find ourselves in Psalm 27, which is a psalm of trouble. We see, so in verse 3, David says that he has adversaries who are chasing after him to come and devour his flesh like a, a pack of wolves. Uh, if you want a definition of trouble, that seems like it. But the beauty of psalms is that they're real honest they're really honest about life situations and how tough they are, but they help us in life's messiness to know how to live out faith, how to be a people of faith in the midst of difficulty and trouble. We've said it before from this pulpit, the Psalms of faith with flesh on them. And this, this morning, though, what we see is the Psalm, though it is a Psalm of trouble, doesn't start off with trouble, but rather it starts off with biblical theology. And that what that teaches us is that true peace is not found in having just the right people around you. True peace is not found in understanding what life is really all about. There's too many mysteries to really get that right. True, true peace is not even found in getting into a season of ease. But rather, true peace is found in biblical theology. And when we say theology, we talk about the study of God. So we're saying true peace is found in knowing who God is. That's where your, your peace is going to be found, church. And there's three things in the opening verse that we see that David talks about God. He gives us an understanding of God. Firstly, he says, God is light. God is light. And in Scripture, there's many ways that things that light means. It means pure. It means just. It means right. It means true. So in a world that is broken and wrong, in a world where there seems to be so much things that aren't right, there's so much injustice where truth seems to be questioned and there is lack of purity, but rather evil, 
we find that there is one who is true. There is one who is just. There is one who is righteous. There is one who is truth, and his name is Jesus. We see that David says that the Lord is salvation, and salvation in the broadest, biggest term that we can think of is the eradication of evil. So in a world where it seems like the bad guys are winning, when evil is around every corner, when temptation is just right there for you to fall into, we have this truth that God will win and evil will lose, that Christ will return, not as a lamb, but he will come as the king of kings, as a judge with a sword in his mouth to judge the living and the dead. Amen? We see here that we have, that he says here, God is strongholds. God is strongholds. That he is a place of refuge and rest that he's a place of protection. It's this picture of a fortified building that is strong, that stands there, ready to protect. Now, friends, God is light. God is salvation. God is stronghold. And I'm going to say something that surprises you here. Paul Triple say this would be bad theology. And the reason why he would say so is because we have forgotten an important word that David used when we were, he was talking. He didn't say God is light. God is salvation and God is stronghold. What he said is God is my light. God is my salvation. He is my stronghold. And so Paul Tripp says this, enough of academic, impersonal, abstract theology that is divorced from your existence. It is not theology that is from the word of God. No wonder we can hold on to that theology and still be searching for something to give us awe. Be shopping for all horizontally. Because theology, properly understood, doesn't just define God. It, def it redefines me as a child of God. And so what good theology does is it not only deals with the mind, but good theology helps us to realize our relationship with God. Good theology redefines who I am. It shapes me. It changes me. It changes the way I view life. It changes the way I view my situations. It's not just an academic exercise, but it grasps all of you. That is what good theology is. And what David is speaking about here, he knows he, it's better than he actually really knows. Because it's only really uh, shown to us in its fullness later on in Scripture. David is saying, glorious grace has connected me to the one who is light. Glorious grace has connected me to the one who is salvation. Glorious grace has connected me to the one who is stronghold. Glorious grace has done that for me. He is my light. He is light for me. He is salvation for me. He is stronghold for me. Do you feel the difference? It just it changes. It's a glorious truth that should take away our breath. It should stop us in our tracks. It should make our jaws drop and hit the floor. That the truth is that everything God is, he is for you by grace. That the whole expanse of his glory has been unleashed upon us 
by his grace. That his perfect, unending, steadfast love has been poured upon you through Christ by grace. That you have this glorious God if we, that we can have awe and wonder. You have his ear by grace. That he is there to give you wisdom by grace through Christ. Through faith in Christ. And these truths, church, aren't just true for those who are experiencing the mountaintop experiences of life. These truths are there for those who are in the valley lows as well. We see it in verses 2 and 3. It says this, When evildoers assail, uh, assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. Things have gotten real and dark very quickly for David. Things are difficult and tough, but what this verse teaches us is that biblical faith doesn't require us to deny the realities that we are going through. It doesn't require the Christian to pretend everything is a-okay when it really isn't. We tend to do that a lot at church, don't we? When people ask, how are you doing? God is good, but you've been questioning his goodness this whole week. Biblical faith doesn't require you to deny the realities you're in because that, what that will do is give you a temporal peace that isn't really biblical peace that's sustaining. But what biblical faith requires you is that you do not deny in your difficulties, the reality of who God is. That when things are going tough, you hold on to who he is and who he is for you. Your faith is most strong, it is most stable, it's most sure, it's most powerful when it is centered not on your troubles, but on who God is. That is where true Peace and hope and strength and courage and confidence, it stems from not your ability to be able to sort the situation you in out, but in your ability to be able to keep your eyes fixed on the true character of God. That's where the strength of those things is found. For friends, faith is not a hoping for the best. It's not a wishing upon a star. It's not trusting in a nothingness. Faith is dependent on the true, unchanging, glorious character of our God. And so, with that said, we've got to be careful that we do not let our meditations be primarily on our trouble. We have that tendency easily to do, don't we? When things are going bad, what do we think about we think about our trouble. You, you toss your troubles around as you're doing housework. You toss your troubles around as you're driving the kids to school. As you lie in bed at night, there it is. As the lights go out, you can't go to sleep because there's your trouble. You wake up in the middle of the night and you can't go back to sleep because you've got a knot in your stomach. You, you wake up in the morning and all you think about is the trouble that you have. And when we become people that keep our eyes fixed on our troubles and not on God, what happens is our trouble seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger and our God seems to get smaller and smaller and more distant. It is no wonder why, particularly as South Africans, we find ourselves to be a people full of fear and anxiety because we keep our eyes and our meditation not on where our faith should be firm, but on the problems that we are facing. So what does David do? And this brings me to my second point, a personal call. 
David runs to God and keeps his mind stayed on him. We see this in verse 4. He says, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. What is the one thing that you are asking from the Lord? What is that one thing? Those of you who are struggling and going through trouble, what is the one thing that you have been asking about? Those of you who are going through good times, what is the one thing that you have been asking God for? For David, he's saying, Lord, the one thing I need in the midst of all my trouble with enemies around me, with an army encamped about me to wage war against me, the one thing I find important in the midst of this devastation is that you would give me you that I would be able to experience you within my heart. This wonderful invitation comes to David. It, it's seen, it sees, we see it in here in verse 8. It says, you ha- have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. It's a heart invitation. It's an invitation to David to experience him. What does it mean to seek? Well, is, is, it, is it a literal vision? Well, it could have been, but it's unlikely because what David is asking for is a continuous, sustained part of being in God's presence where a vision would have been just a, a moment. So he's not asking for that. He's asking for something more. In verse 4, it says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And here, David is not asking to be a priest or a Levite, those who got to spend time in the temple. He's not asking and wishing to exchange his kingship in order to become a king. So what is he asking for? He's asking to experience God in his heart, what he knows already in his head. That the things he knows about God, that those things would become a part of his head. There's a, there's a different a part of his heart. There is a difference between knowing God is great and experience a sense in your heart that he is great. Jonathan Edwards puts it like this. He says, there's a, there's a difference between having a rational understanding that honey is sweet to that of having a sense of the sweetness. There's a difference between knowing God is glorious and holy to having a sense within your heart that he is glorious and holy. There's a difference between knowing his graciousness and his kindness as a theological understanding than having a sense within your heart that he is glorious and good and kind. There is a difference there. And, we, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an experience, not just an understanding that David is saying, Lord, I know this, but I, I want to experience. And we see it in the word gaze. The gaze there is sensory language. He doesn't just want to see it, but he wants to experience it. That's the beauty of the word gaze. I want to experience, I want to, I want to know you, Lord, all the days of my life. He's saying, I can't handle life with just the knowledge of who you are. I can't even handle it by obeying the commands. I want to know you. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's, it's vital for us to have right doctrine and right practice, but we can't stop there. We have to have right doctrine and right practice that needs to lead to experience of knowing and enjoying him. And verse 8, my friends, is an invitation to us all. Let's read verse 8 again. It says this, it was just the first part. It says, you have said, seek my face. That word seek there in verse 8 is not a singular word, but a plural. 
It's an invitation to all who would hear. Sterling Baptist, the command by God. I want to use a strong language this morning. The command by God, the strong command invitation to you. If you have ears to hear, is God saying, seek his face. Experience him. Go after him. And, and it's, it's vital for us to understand that while we hope, I certainly do as, as, um, as a per, an elder that's been here for eight years now, is that there is this longing in my heart for you as a church that I would see every single one sitting here at the 10, at the 8, at the 10, at the 6, seeking God with all their hearts. That there would be an awakening amongst us. Praise God if that ever happens. But may I suggest to you this important thing that it will never happen across the board without it first happening to you. It never filters down from the big to the small. It always starts with the individual to the big. Does that make sense? It can't happen at the broad overall view without it first happening to you. And the command today is don't worry about how other people respond for you cannot determine their response. Your spouse next to you, you can't make sure they do it. Your children, you can't make sure they do it. Those in your Bible study, you can't make sure that you can do it. But the command is not to them. The command is to you. How will you respond today? Will you choose to do it? Will you, like David at the end, go as he, God gives his command, seek my face. He says, oh, Lord, my heart says, my heart says, Lord, I will seek your face. But you have to decide. Will you seek him? So how do we seek him? It brings me to my third point of a personal commitment. And I've got some thoughts around how we need to do it. And the first way we do it is we need to be determined intentionally to do so. We need to intentionally seek God. I've said this a lot from this pulpit, but it's my last chance, so I'm going to do it again. Is that there's a difference between good intentions and being intentional. Good intentions are our New Year's resolutions where we start out every year with every intention to get skinnier. How the, how's that going? Mark, you're doing very well. But the rest of us, how's that going? How was that running that you promised you were going to do? How was that healthier eating? We had the good intentions to do it, but you know what? Uh, a good New Year's Day bra really does just throw that all out of the window. You see, good intentions, my friends, never really results in action. Being intentional results in the actions. You have to go buy the running shoes and go and run. You have to go to the shop and don't buy the junk food, but buy the healthy food. And the same way it is with God. You can have every good intention to say, yeah, I will seek him. But there's this necessity to be able to go and be intentional in doing it. And, and not only intentional, you're going to have to be determined because it's hard. A.W. Tozer says this, he says, if you want a personal revival, that's what we're talking about today, some, an awakening within us to love and seek after God even more than you are currently doing, I hope. He says, if you want a personal revival, you have to have a hard nose because of all the schemes and the tricks of the world. You must, I don't know if it says you must, yeah, it does, thank you, Debbie. You must set your face like a flint and say, I go by the grace of God. I want all that the New Testament has for me. You have to be determined. And David was. He, we see there was action that was put into place. He was seeking, asking, inquiring, going in. These are intentions with action attached to them to seek God's face. He set time aside to do it. You are going to have to put a strategy into place in order to do this. 
The next thing is you have to gaze upon his beauty. And again, this is not just seeking for information. It means much more than that. To gaze means more than that. To gaze, if you think about it, means admiration. It's, it's a longing. It's, it's, it's praise. And if we are going to be a people who seek the face of the Lord, we need to be a people who are... Uh, who are characterized by the fact that we praise God. Not just here as we gather and we sing songs because that's what's up on the screen, but because we are people who love and want to keep our eyes fixed on him and we praise him in our prayer life. Praise needs to be, in our prayer life, praise needs to be essential to what we do. We so easily as people can spend half an hour praying and asking God to forgive us when we feel guilty. When things are going rough, we can spend 30 minutes without a shadow of a doubt giving our petitions on how God should run our lives and these are the things we need and he should hurry up. But in terms of praise, 30 minutes seems quite a long time, doesn't it? But if we are going to be a people who have our eyes fixed on God and have faith stirred within us, we have to... Some, the beauty of prayer and praise is, is that as we praise God, we give him what he deserves. But in his graciousness, what happens is we get to catch our hearts up to who he really is. The faith gets stirred. There's something that happens within us as we praise God. It's his grace to us. That he, he gets us strengthened and, and encouraged by us reminding ourselves and giving him what he deserves, actually who he is. Sometimes you tell yourself as you tell God who he is. You remind yourself of these truths. But then does that mean that we aren't meant to be people of petition? How do we do it then? Well, how do we make sure that we give petition and petition asking for things, but yet not taking our eyes off off God and making it all about our trouble because that can easily happen, right? You can praise him and then you can start asking and telling him about all your trouble and suddenly your heart can lose its, lose its faith. So how do we do that? Well, some killer gives some health, healthy advice and helpful advice around this. He says, we, we never petition God for something without seeing how that very thing you are after is in God already. What I mean by this is, are you sick? Ask God to heal you. Are you out of a job? Are you poor? Ask God for finances. Are you lonely? Ask God for friends. Ask God for love. But discipline yourself as you petition to say, Lord, however, the only disease that can really knock me out is sin and evil in you is healed. The only debt that can really take me out in you is paid. The only loneliness and alienation that can really destroy me in you is satisfied. If I have you, ultimately I am satisfied. Wow, so helpful. Lord, I, I need you to come through in my finances. Lord, please. But Lord, if in your will you don't, I know that you have paid the greatest debt, and that is all I need. Wow. You still get the petition, but you realign your heart on what you truly need, not the finances, but the God who can give you the finances. It's, 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 it's changing. And it helps us to keep our eyes gazed on him. And as we gaze, it is this beauty. It's, it's the standing at the edge of a cliff overlooking a mountain valley and just being awestruck by it. Seeing a beautiful scenery and just looking. It's, it's looking at that person you love and you can't take your eyes off them. That's what gaze is. 
and we get a gaze upon his beauty. And what it does is you've stand, you, everyone knows how this feels like as you look at someone or something that just takes your breath away. Words don't seem to really be adequate. It's in the same way as you look to God and you see who he is. It just captivates you in such a way that words just seem to be inadequate. And so you just need to sit there and be in awe and wonder of what you've seen. And sometimes in, in some ways in unbelief of how beautiful this is. The, th- the third thing is you're going to need to inquire. And this is interesting. What David says, I have one thing I want, but he says he's going to do two things. He's going to gaze, which we've spoken about, upon his beauty, and we're going to inquire. The gaze is to gaze upon the personal nature of who God is, and to inquire is to be preoccupied with God's will, with him. It's to inquire God, to, to seek God's truth. It is to meditate upon God's word as we read it until light starts to shine, until you read it so that you might start to see truth start to shine out of it. That's how it works. If you take scripture and you read it and you meditate upon it, not so that you might gain more information or even that you might memorize a verse, but rather that you might hopefully find more of him and you might see more of his character and you might come away knowing him more. It's it's, it's to reflect upon him. It's not just ticking off a box so that we might have done our religious duty of the day or, or that we might have done something special, but it is to seek the truth so that we might find him through that truth. And lastly, before we head to communion, is that we are to wait on him. We see this in verse 14. David says, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. And what you will notice here, if you, look at the, if you look over the psalm again later, you will notice that David is speaking in the future tense. I will, I will. He doesn't quite have this yet. He's saying, I will take courage. I will be able to. I will gaze upon. I will inquire. These are all future tense. He doesn't have it yet. And yet he, in the midst of the trouble, he's going, I will get this. I need to wait for him. And friends, this is not going to, this might, I pray for you today, and I have been, that this will happen this morning. But I want to pre-warn you that it is possible, like the disciples in the upper room, you might have to wait some time. But you have to wait. And David, in the midst of trouble, with with the enemies coming all around him, and and I think what he's doing here is he's actually speaking to himself in some senses. Not just speaking to others, but he's speaking to himself. He's like, David, there, there's troubles around you, bud. But you wait on the Lord. You wait. Take courage. Be strong. Wait, wait on the Lord. Don't, don't take your eyes off him. No, you wait. And in, and in some ways, we at times have to preach to ourselves these truths. We have to tell ourselves to wait. We have, we have to kind of like give yourself a little bit of a pep talk because God is worth waiting for and you haven't quite good at it and you've been scouring his word and you've been asking for this experience, but it seems to be eluding you. No, don't give up. This glorious satisfaction far more than what the world can offer you. David is saying, don't give up, David. Don't get distracted by your troubles. Don't worry about the enemy that's around you making a noise. You seek him. You seek him. So maybe David's words to us would be this morning, wait for the Lord. Be strong, Sterling. Let your heart take courage. Wait for him. Wait for him. For he's worth it. You seek him. Seek him with all your might. 
Seek him with everything you have. For he's the best thing you can do. We're going to head into a time of communion now. And as you take these elements, you're going to have the privilege of coming and partaking of this if you know Christ. And you're going to hold on to these elements. I want you to preach to yourselves the truths that these elements remind you of. For some of you this morning, as you hold on to these, they're practical illustration for you that God loves you. That he is a God of love, but he doesn't isn't just a God of love, he loves you. And that is demonstrated through the sacrifice. You doubt that this morning. Do you doubt it? You, you, you fix your eyes on the cross and that say that it was for me because God loves me. You preach to yourself that truth today. For some of you, as you hold on to these elements, you need to remind yourself of the sin that you are living in and God takes it seriously. And if you are going to experience him, my friends, you have to cast off the things of this world. And so there's going to be a chance of repentance. And you can ask God, please forgive me. But do not doubt if you come in truth and ask him to forgive you, do not doubt that he will. He certainly will. Why? Because you're holding on to the elements of the sacrifice that he has made for you. He will forgive you. Come and enjoy his mercy as you partake of these elements. For some, as we hold on to these elements, we must preach to us the truth that Christ is coming again. For those of you who are troubled today, the truth is that evil will be destroyed. That this life is not all that there is. That Christ will return. You tell yourself that truth. For others, you need to tell yourself that truth because you need to wake up. You haven't, when I talk about experience in him, that is not anything that you will know of. And the call for you today is seek my face and he will return before then. Be seeking his face when he comes. Settle it within your heart today. Be determined, SBC, to seek his face. And everyone, we need to remind ourselves that the invitation to seek his face came at the cost of his son. That it is only through Jesus dying for you on the cross that you have a privilege to be able to enter into the holy place. It's only through his sacrifice that you have become a son and daughter if you would have faith in him. How lightly have you taken that invitation? Take it seriously. For God did, he gave his son in order that you might take hold of that invitation. So I'm going to ask you to come forward and get the elements. And then, and then once everyone has, I'm going to pray. And you eat in your own time. I want to encourage you, wait on the Lord. Don't rush from here. And when you're done, if you wouldn't mind being respectful to those who might be waiting and praying, doing some business with the Lord, we just do so quietly. We leave and we can chat a lot outside. Got it? All right, come forward. If the servers wouldn't mind, come forward and then we can come and grab.